This is Blind Like Me. Hello, everyone. Interviews, information, and reviews related to living with a vision disability. Your host is Tim Black. Tim has been visually impaired since birth. He's been in radio for 30 years and also hosts the podcast Inside Today's Country. Tim has never let his lack of vision stand in his way. Well, welcome to this week's edition of Blind Like Me. Thanks very much for listening to us wherever you find your podcast. We ask you to give us a like, a follow, and a share so everyone can find out what we're doing here on Blind Like Me. Well, this week, kind of something interesting. We got an email from a guy by the name of Joey Stuckey. Now, Joey is a musician in Georgia. He is totally blind. He's got quite the story to tell, and so we thought we would connect with him via Zoom, and you're in Macon, Georgia, correct? You got it. Wow, I nailed it. Welcome to the podcast, my friend. Oh, it's my pleasure, sir. This is very cool. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Now, I'm uh, obviously, we're seeing you here on the on the screen in, in front of me, uh, and you're in Georgia. So let's talk a, a little bit uh, about uh, your sight, or the mm-hmm. lack thereof, uh, right. because as you told me, you've been uh, totally blind your entire life, or 18 months uh, old, you lost your sight. So let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. How did, how did that all happen for you? Well, you know, basically what happened was um, I had a brain tumor and uh, my mom thought there was something wrong with me. You know, because she said, I don't feel like my child, you know, is tracking me the way he should. He doesn't seem, you know, he seems to have a little trouble navigating. Mm-hmm. And she took me to the doctor a couple of times and they were like, eh, you're just an overprotective mother. Go home, bake cookies. It's all fine. <laughs> and, uh, okay. you know, but, but, you know, moms, moms and dads know when when something's not right with their child i mean Mm -hmm. they you know they do Mm -hmm. and so um my dad uh let go of my hand for just a second to pick something up one day Mm -hmm. uh and i just walked forward and fell down a flight of 30 stairs oh wow and it scared my parents to death because they you know people falling down stairs and 30 of them and being a small you know Mm -hmm. uh scary Mm-hmm. So they took me to the hospital and, and they uh, looked at me and they're like, oh, I think this kid's blind. And so uh, indeed what had happened was I had a brain tumor. And the way I kind of describe it is the brain tumor was non-malignant. It was not cancerous, but um, it, it was growing at such a exponential rate right. that what was happening was it basically was crushing sort of the internal wiring of, uh, inside my head so it, oh, wow. it, uh, it it took my eyesight and my sense of smell but that's actually I believe in, in using what you got so I used those two things to trick my wife into marriage actually so I, <laughs> I said I said whatever what, what, no matter what happens you will always look and smell perfect if you if you come with me there you go. And she she said, "I'll take it." And we've been married seventeen years this June, so it it well, worked, it worked well, out congr- pretty well. Congratulations for you! Absolutely, yeah. yeah got, so you, you know, but but I mean, uh, it it also that the most obvious thing is that I can't see, but mm-hmm. uh, it also left me with no it, no endocrine function. So I have no thyroid. I have no adrenal function. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't make adrenaline. So um, I have medical issues that I deal with every day. So basically. I, this is not, I'm not being hyperbolic. It's not an exaggeration. I take about 30 pills a day. Oh, wow. Uh, I take a shot every day. Mm-hmm. I'm getting ready to because I'm having issues with, uh, with, with my bones. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to have to start taking another injection twice a year to, to, to help with that. And so um, if, if I, you know, I just don't make adrenaline, I don't make thyroid and, mm-hmm. and, and other things. Mm-hmm. So for me, if I want to get to the office at say nine in the morning, mm-hmm. I get up at six in the morning. 
and then it gives me time to get on my medicine in me. And I'm, I don't take any therapeutic medicine. In other words, I'm not treating any illnesses. Mm -hmm. I'm simply replacing things my body doesn't make. Mm -hmm. uh, but it does mean that if I get sick with a cold or something, it's it's two or three times as hard on me as it would be on on right. somebody else because my body doesn't make that natural, you know, adrenal adrenal function. And you know, it also um, you know means that. I can get dehydrated real quickly and, and, mm -hmm. and all these things. So, so, you know, but once I get up and running, mm -hmm. uh, I have two speeds, which is full speed ahead and off. I was about and to say, so, man, you're, you're in, you're you know, in you know how speed. that is, right? Yeah. And so, so once I'm up and running, you know, nobody even knows that, that I have that. And I, you know, I've, I've had other issues in the brain tumor. I've got a complete metal shoulder, uh, right shoulder replacement mm -hmm. and a complete, uh, right hip replacement. Um, and so those things are not fun. They are challenging. But mm -hmm. when I was a child, you know, and they discovered the brain tumor, the, the surge, this is the, the mid seventies. So it was the dark ages of medicine, yep. uh, compared to what we have now. Mm -hmm. And they really thought that I wasn't going to survive. They told my parents that I, I probably wouldn't make it. Mm -hmm. And if I did, I wouldn't walk or talk and I can do both of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, um, they, they did tell my parents that when, you know, when they went into surgery, they said, look, this is going to be seven, eight, maybe nine hours worth of surgery. Mm -hmm. uh, and if we come out, you know, in a time that is less than that, you need to be prepared. Your son didn't make it or there was a problem or something like that. Mm -hmm. They came out in around three hours and um, the surgeon just said that he didn't really know how to explain it to my parents any other way, except that he felt like a higher power had, had taken hold of his hands and he lifted the tumor out. And so I think the great thing that my parents have always done, I was really sick as a child. I was sick a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd be in the hospital. I was in the hospital for about three months after the brain tumor, mm -hmm. uh, ICU and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and then, and then on and off again as a child. And mm -hmm. so, but I think the thing that I love about what my parents have done and has always done that is integral to my being is that they never focused on, Hey, you almost died. Mm -hmm. uh, they always said, no, you survived. Mm -hmm. And that is sort of the key to my outlook in life to take affirmational things from moments that could be, you know, fearful moments or, or, or tragic moments and, and, and try to find the affirmational quality if I can. That's wild. What a, that's an amazing thing. How did yeah, you, so how, it's, it's been interesting. How is, uh, how was school for you back in the seventies then? It was tough. You know, there, there was no, there were some blind schools, mm -hmm. uh, uh, academies or whatever you want to call yeah. them. We had them in um, Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but, um, I, I did not go that route. Mm -hmm. Um, my parents put me in a normal school, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, just a regular public school. Um, and I, the, uh, there was no such thing as like disability services or special services or student support services or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. There wasn't, we didn't have any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I just sort of toughed it out with the rest of the kids. And, and the difference was my parents would read to me at home to help me with my homework. Mm -hmm. um, at school, um, I would just sort of have to gently remind the teachers if they were writing something on the board that they needed to verbalize that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, and, and that's, that's it. The, the fortunate thing for me mm -hmm. is that I have a really good memory. Good for you, man. That's awesome. And, you know, so <laughs> once they said it, I had it. I okay. mean, that was it. And, and I actually ended up, um, you know, scholastically achieving a lot. I, I actually graduated high school, you know, when I was 14 Okay. and I'd already taken, you know, all the, all the, all the SATs and all that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. even taken, uh, two college classes. And the principal said, look, we have nothing else to offer you. You got to go. <laughs> There's nothing else for you here. Wow. 
And so I ended up starting college. I took a year off roughly. And part of the reason for that was, um, you know, I was very young and, mm-hmm. and knowing what I wanted to do next was, you know, not clear. And part of the reason was we, we moved from Jacksonville, Florida uh, to Macon, Georgia mm-hmm. from when I was uh, around 15. So I started uh, college when I was 16 um and uh and so that's that's kind of how it all all worked but it, it again even in college there was no you know disability services or anything we just had to sort of figure it out as we went along mm-hmm. so my my main solution was uh i said i at the beginning of each class i would stand up and say i'm joey stuckey and i'm blind i need somebody to study with someone that can you know can take their own notes um, and, and then we can study together mm-hmm. and someone that will meet me outside and walk me into class and, and, uh, uh, and that, and then tell me what's on the board and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll pay you a hundred bucks a semester to do it, which, you know, isn't a lot, but it was, it was enough to make it, you know, worth their time, gave them a little extra money, but also, you know, they, a lot of people had, you know, wanted study partners anyway. Mm-hmm. So that was one way that we, that we combated that, um, and, you know, every professor was a little different. Some professors preferred to give me my exams themselves, like orally, just mm-hmm. talk about the information. Mm-hmm. Some, some said, I'm going to put your, I'm going to put the questions on a cassette for you. Mm-hmm. You have your tape recorder, which I'd brought with me, you know, wherever I went. Yeah. Uh, they said, you have that and you record your answers uh, on a separate tape and just turn that in. Some of them preferred that I, that I would uh, have someone uh, from the, you know, the, the registrar's office or, or somewhere mm-hmm. come and, and write down my answers on the test. Right. So we just did whatever they wanted. Um, and by and large, it worked out. I mean, there were, there were hiccups from time to time, but by mm-hmm. and large, it worked out okay. What was it like asking people to, you know, help you in, in class? Did you get any pushback for that or were people willing to, to jump out and help? I mean, you were paying them a hundred bucks, but well, yeah. you know, but w- was the willingness there or was it a little bit of a challenge? It, I think, you know, the biggest thing was I don't, th- I, I don't think there was a problem with the willingness to help. Mm-hmm. I think people weren't quite sure how to react at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, like, well, do we talk about the blind part or we don't, you know, mm-hmm. that, that was, I think there was some awkwardness there, but once they got to know me and know that I don't take offense easily mm-hmm. and I'm intelligent enough to realize if something they've said is hurtful or not, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think they realized that blind's not a dirty word. And, um, the, the, my, my favorite story of this period, mm-hmm. um, was that there was, uh, a guy, um, came up to me one day I, at this, at this particular point in my career in, in college, yeah. uh, I was at school for about six hours a day and I had a, a young lady who took, uh, two of the same classes I did. And, um, so she stuck with me for both classes and we had one really long class. And, um, so, you know, I would, uh, use traditional side. I didn't use a cane at the time. Um, honestly, part of my reason for that was I felt like if I asked someone to walk me, it'd be a better way to socially engage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. not that I don't value my independence because I certainly do, but I felt like I would be able to, I would be able to approach people more. Right. If I was walking with them and talking with them instead of trying to, you know, navigate on my own with a cane. Right. So I wanted to meet people. In particular, I wanted to meet girls. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, I wanted to meet people and I wanted to I wanted to be social. And, it's, you know, 
So, um, and I'm not saying what's right for me is right for anybody else, but that's what felt right to me. Mm -hmm. So I would hold her arm in the traditional sided guide, you know, grip. Uh, mm -hmm. if anybody's familiar with that. And um, my favorite story was we walked to class, and I think the th maybe the third day or the or something like that around of the of the new semester, we were in this. Uh, I'll never forget it was a sociology class, mm -hmm. and um, this guy we had a five minute. It was a really long class. I think it was maybe a two hour or two hour and a half class. And we had a five minute break in between to get water, go to the bathroom, whatever. And so uh, the young lady that was helping me went to the restroom. And when she was gone, this guy came up and said, man, I am so sorry. I feel so bad to ask you this, but I just have to know, like, what's wrong with that girl? And I said, what, you know, what do you, what do you mean? What's, what's wrong with her? He goes, well, why do you have to help her walk? <laughs> <laughs> That's, and I was like, you're my new best friend. That's awesome. That, <laughs> so that's really cool. It was fun. It Did was, you, it, you know, and, 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 you know, you know, being blind has put me in a few interesting spots, mm -hmm. um, particularly like in, in foreign territory, like bathrooms that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I remember one time it was a crazy day. Uh, I had been, my, I'd been running late to school and I used to keep my shoes under a chair. And I would just sort of snake. I, I didn't. I use like slip-on shoes, like penny loafers or yeah, whatever. Right. And I would just like snake my foot under there and, and and put my foot into the shoe and just run out the door. And that's what I did. And I noticed. I was like, wow, I'm I'm kind of kind of wobbling today. I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know what, what's going on with my feet today. And I got to school and I I used to love to sit Indian style on my desk. I would you know cross my legs, you know. Right. And uh, I put my hand down, just sort of casually rested my hand on my leg. And I was like wait a minute, this is not the shoe I put on this morning. And I went and checked and I had two different, oh, I had two different shoes on. One was a dress loafer. One was like a, an Indian moccasin kind of thing. And so one had a heel, one didn't. And I leaned over to the young lady that was helping me. I said, I have on two different shoes. She's like, yeah, I know. I was like, well, why didn't you tell me? She was like, I didn't want to embarrass you. I was like, well, well. <laughs> you know, but that same day, mm -hmm. We were had to go for some reason. I don't recall why, but we had to go to a different part of the building. And during the break, I went to the restroom that I wasn't used to going to. And I found the stall and was feeling around. And I found the hinges, but I couldn't find the door handle. And it was one of those kind that, that doesn't have a door handle. It, it has it just sort of hangs open and then you pull it closed. You know, mm -hmm. but there was not mm -hmm. a door handle on the outside. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought well, maybe it's just stuck or something. So I, uh, I put my arms up over the top of the door and kind of shook it thinking maybe it's just, you know, stuck. And then I thought, you know, I wonder if somebody's in here <laughs> and, and indeed somebody was in oh. there. I said, Hey, is there, is there anybody in there? And this really deep voice goes, yeah. You know, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm thinking they made it deep just to scare me, you know? And I was like, my bad. I'll just wait against the wall. And uh, so, I mean, you know, I, that's pretty funny. I mean, yeah. it, you know, at, at the moment it wasn't. <laughs> no, of course not. But now that you look, you look back on it. I it mean, was you mortifying. Can, yeah. yeah. But I mean, so, I mean, you know, I wouldn't have had that bit of adventure if it wasn't for, for the fact that I, I couldn't see. So, you know, I've had some, some interesting things happen like that, that, that uh, in retrospect are, are pretty funny, but yeah, we just sort of toughed it out. I mean, again, there were challenges and, there were some professors that didn't want me to take their class because I, for example, there was a playwriting class that I wanted to take mm -hmm. and the professor said, well, I don't know how you can possibly do that being blind. And remember this is before computers had really good accessible eighties, early nineties. 
And uh, so, um, you know, uh, he said, I just, I just can't see how you would take my class. So, I mean, I, I had a few, a little pushback from time to time with something like that. Anything too good a job make me think I could do anything I wanted. That's true. I, I, did you now your friend, the people who guided you and helped you and are they still friends today? Yeah. Yeah. I still, I mean, I've lost touch with a few, uh-huh. but I, but I've kept, uh, I've kept in touch with, with a lot of people. Yeah. That's very cool. It was not a strictly business kind of thing. No. That's... I tried to you know make it appeal to them so mm-hmm. that they would give me a job at first. Right. And, but, but yeah, it was I, I, generally speaking and I've never been shy. Mm-hmm. So if I need help, I'm, I'm, I have no problem saying, Hey, I'm, I'm blind. I need a little assistance, you know? So it's, I, I don't have to say it often, but if I do, I don't, I don't mind doing it. I think it's a really good outlook that you have is the fact that you're not shy about it because so many people that I have come across and, and talked to in, in, you know, uh, seminars that you sit in and stuff like that. A lot of people who are visually impaired or, or totally blind are very shy about it and, and they don't want people to, they want people to know about it, but they on the other side, they don't want people to know about it. Uh, and they're scared to ask for help. Sure. And I mean, you know, obviously you're not scared to help and it's paid off for you in, in many ways, obviously, you know, with, with, what happened with you in college and stuff like that. I think that's a brilliant way of doing it and a great outlook on life. Well, the thing is, one of the things that I talk about a lot, uh, I do, I do some inspirational talks and I also teach at the university level. I teach now and I'm, I'm honored to be able to give back, uh, to, you know, uh, hopefully a good experience like I had. I had some professors that really went the extra mile for me mm-hmm. um, and, and, and always were very thoughtful. And, hey, I want to make sure that I'm able to include you in, in the most meaningful way. Mm-hmm. And I like to I like to give that back. But I do feel like, you know, at the end of the day, everybody wants to be accepted as just another part of the, of the group. You know, right. uh, that's that's sort of our social our social need. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 important for our mental uh, you know, mental health. Mm-hmm. To, and, and so um, it is true that a lot of times people feel a little awkward around someone who has uh, a difference in their life, whether you're in a wheelchair or you're blind or what, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so, I mean, that, that is, that is true that there's an awkwardness at times. Mm-hmm. And if, if adults feel awkward, you can imagine how children feel, mm-hmm. uh, especially when they're going through, you know, the teenage years, which is a massive time of change in, you know, in itself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's really important to me to talk about, you know, the fact that I can't see, Mm -hmm. I like to frame it, um, in this way. So I like to to think about it as recognizing my limitations, but not defining myself in terms of those limitations. Mm -hmm. So I have, it would be insane if I, thought, Hey, I can go drive, uh, a NASCAR, you know, <laughs> if I, I mean, you know, I mean, it would, it would just be foolishness mm-hmm. At the, and it would be probably a crazy idea unless your job is to offend and or annoy everybody in your neighborhood. It'd be a bad idea for, you, for me to paint your house. Right. So, you, you know, if, if, you know, again, <laughs> unless you're trying to annoy somebody. Well, yep. Um, so, so, I mean, you know, you have to recognize, uh, I'll never be a fighter pilot. I'll probably, I'll never be an astronaut, you know, wonderful things that you think about wanting to do as a kid. Sure. I uh, can't be a firefighter. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go out and, and, and be some sort of sniper. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, yeah, but, but at the same time, I don't think of myself, uh, I don't think of being blind first and foremost at every part of the day. I, 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 I think of the, I, I recognize what I have to do differently. And then I just go about my, my life and my business. So, you know, I, I'm not ashamed of, of anything. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's totally okay if, 
if other people feel differently, that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I think that you're selling yourself short and you're missing out on a lot of life mm -hmm. and a lot of joy mm -hmm. if you don't just own who you are. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that is for anyone in any situation. Yeah, I agree. Whether you're, you know, Mm -hmm. Whether you're blind or whether you're overweight or I mean, what, anything that makes you feel different or that you're you're embarrassed of or that you feel uncertain about. I, I as a as a teenager, I wanted to know how I stacked up against the competition as far as dating. Mm -hmm. y your mom was always going to tell you that you're good looking. So you got to throw that away. <laughs> you can't you can't you can't put that in the equation. Right. Um, so and of course, I can't look in the mirror and go, well, am I uh, of average attractiveness? Am I? So as a you know, teenager, I thought a lot about that. How do I know? How do I know if I'm out punting my coverage, as a friend of mine would say? Mm -hmm. um, uh, I then eventually figured out that uh, being attractive and being a person of worth and being someone worth spending time with mm -hmm. was all up to me. And that once I made the decision that I was attractive and I did have something to offer, uh, then that was all it really required. Mm -hmm. And it sounds simple, but it's a really hard thing to to totally, you can say it and understand it intellectually, but it's got to go deep. It's yeah. got to be a very deep understanding. But the minute that I decided, well, being attractive is how I, is, in, is in how I carry myself uh, in, in how I, how I project my spirit. Uh, I immediately had no trouble getting dates. I had no, I never had trouble again with fitting into a social group. Mm -hmm. None of that stuff ever, ever was an issue again. Um, and uh, because I made the decision and, and you know, you, you think about people um, not to be put too fine a point on it, but you, you think about people like Mick Jagger um, who by all accounts is not the most attractive man. Mm -hmm. uh, I have no empirical data to prove otherwise. <laughs> so, so, so I've um, seen, I've seen, I, I've seen pictures. Yeah. You, you've you, seen pictures. I've okay. Seen, so you can, you're, you're good. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. he he apparently, and yet you know he he's he's one of the world's greatest sex symbols. Mm -hmm. um, why? It's his swagger. Oh yeah. When when Maroon Five wrote the song "Moves Like Jagger," everybody understood what that meant immediately. Mm -hmm. Totally. It's that swagger. It's that confidence. Yeah. And so that is the deal. That is that is the deal. So I mean, I, that's you know one of the challenges uh, of living a successful life and, and living you know a life that's that's worth living to you is you know to figure out some of these things so anyway but i i just always felt like that you know being blind certainly has its challenges and there are there are days that it's not fun there are days that it's stressful there are days that it's aggravating and it's okay to, to say i am not happy with the situation with this situation or i wish that i didn't have to deal with the situation those are all perfectly normal reasonable things to think but you just can't get stuck there what's what frustrates you well, primarily, um, not being able to drive. Okay. That, that is the, that's the biggest one. And then number two is not being able to read anything I want. I have to find something that's either accessible because the computer can read it to me, mm -hmm. um, or I have to find something that's on audio, which is my preferred, I'm not a great braille reader. I, I'm a, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm an adequate braille reader, but I'm not, I'm not a speed reader. Um, so I, I would love to be able to just pick up any old magazine I want to read mm -hmm. and just read it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to be able to read, uh, like for example, on CDs, I'd love to be able to sit down and read the liner notes right. and read, you know, who played what and who engineered it and who, you know, really dig in deep to what, you know, to what's going on. Those things are kind of annoying. It's not, you know, it's not so much the practical aspect of driving, although that certainly can be tricky. I have to arrange my transportation carefully. So it's hard for me to be 
it's hard for me to be uber spur of the moment because right. I need to make sure I have transportation in place. Right. Whether that's a taxi or whether that's my wife or, or, or whether it's someone that works for me, mm-hmm. uh, I have to, you know, I have to make sure that transportation, but it also is just a, a point of freedom. Like, you know, I can't just hop in the car and go take a drive somewhere. Yeah, I, f- uh, I feel I, that. I, I can't hear just, you. Yep. You know what I mean? I can't. Yeah. I can't go get a cheeseburger from from <laughs> from, from, from at four in the morning from Crystal. So, <laughs> you know, now, honestly, uh, that's probably for the best. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, that's probably actually not a bad limitation to yeah, have. Probably not. Um, but yeah, but but so I'm all about driverless cars. I'm 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 sorry if a few sighted people have to die, but I'm all about. <laughs> I'm all about driverless cars. <laughs> I, I I I agree with you. I cannot wait till uh, you know. I've always said that, uh, or my kids have always said to me, in, in in my lifetime, I will be able to sit in a driverless car and have it take me from point A to point B. And yeah, I said, I I'm, can't wait for that day to happen. Me neither. I, I really believe it. You know, we can been... then we can drag race. Absolutely. Right. I mean, there's the, the yeah. There, there's the IndyCar race right there. That would be sweet. <laughs> I mean, who who doesn't want to go in an AI car at 300 miles an hour? I yeah. mean, that's just, you know. <laughs> yeah, we'll both be on the Autobahn and we'll see what happens I, Look, there. when it happens, uh, we we will get together and race. There you go. I'm, that I, is a promise. We'll write that down right now. <laughs> exactly. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your, uh, your career uh, as we were rolling along, hanging out, talking with uh, Joey here on Blind Like Me this week. Uh, you're, obviously, music is, is a big part of your life. Uh, you're, a, as you told me, a, a, a guitar player, a bass player. Um, there was probably something else you told me, too. Uh, and you play other instruments that you say you're, you know, not as accomplished on as, as the guitar and the bass and so forth like that. And you produce yeah. music as well. How did yeah. you get into all that? Well, you know, it's an interesting story. Yeah, so I, I play guitar, bass, and, and sing at a, at a high level that I would compete with almost anybody, uh, you know, uh, with. And there's a few people I wouldn't go head-to-head with, but uh, by and large, I, I do that at a very high level. And then I play keyboards and drums and a mm-hmm. few things like mandolin and stuff like that at, a, at, a, at what I call a low side of adequate. I can get the job done if there's nobody else around to do it. Uh, but it's not, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be my first choice and it shouldn't be yours. Uh, so <laughs> um, uh, to be honest, like, I, I don't know if I was rebelling when I was younger or not. I haven't decided, but I just didn't want to be another blind guy that paid, played piano. Okay. I just didn't. I, right. You know, Jeff Healy's like the only real blind guitar player that anyone knows. Right. Um, you know, and so I just, I wanted to be, I just didn't want to play piano. And even today, it's kind of funny. It's, it's a stereotype and it's, it's, uh, it's amusing really. But people call me up, Hey, will you come play piano for us? I was like, Nope. <laughs> you don't want that i don't want that because right. you know in the studio i sound pretty decent on piano but i cheat because i i play the right hand part with both hands and then i play the left hand part with both hands mm-hmm. uh so it sounds more like i'm better than i am and i also slow the tempo down so okay. i cheat okay um but anyway um yeah so i mean i got into music uh music was always a huge part of my life mm-hmm. um as a child my my parents were both musically inclined uh, never, never did it professionally, but they all, they loved music. They filled the house with music always. And, um, and, and so, but to be honest, I mean, most of my early life until the age of 13 or so was really focused on survival. Right. Um, so I had no concept of, of really looking to the future at that point. Uh, it was all about survival. But when I was 13, I got pneumonia. I had to be, um, basically at, at home while well, I was in the hospital for about a month. And then I was at home for about two and a half months. So the whole summer was, you know, eating up with this bad case of pneumonia. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I discovered public radio. Okay. And public radio had these wonderful old time radios. Now in Canada, you guys still uh, value radio in a way that here in America in, in, in you know the United States that we don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the UK is the same way. Mm-hmm. The UK still has wonderful radio programs on, on BBC Radio 4 and places yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they they still dramatize radio shows. But uh, this public radio station was playing old radio shows uh, from the 40s, the 50s, the oh, 60s. And, brilliant, you know, brilliant. Yeah, shows. like, like yeah. the shadow. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Oh, yeah. War of the Worlds. Mm -hmm. And then they were playing more modern ones as well Mm -hmm. uh, from from the, the, you know, the early 80s, late 70s. Uh, I don't remember if you remember a show called Alien Voices, but there was some of that. There was uh, that was actually featured um, Casey Casey. Mm, Okay, Um, Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was on it and it had it was just it was a wonderful uh, sci fi radio drama from the 70s. And and, uh, it had some of the classic sci fi radio dramas uh, from the 40s and 50s, X minus one dimension X. But anyway, um, I was just totally blown away with a format I'd never heard before. Mm -hmm. And of course, while I listen to TV and, 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 you know, I, I can follow TV programs and movies about 85% successfully just by dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, the car chases and the love scenes are kind of boring, but uh, if something <laughs> happens that I don't know, I'll just lean over and ask my wife or whoever, like, hey, what just happened? Right. Um, so, um, but, but I mean, this was, the story was told with music, sound effects, dialogue. Mm-hmm. And it just blew my mind. And I thought I could make sound effects Mm -hmm. for tv and film and radio Mm -hmm. and so my parents uh were were open to my interests Mm -hmm. i went and bought some really cheap uh, recording equipment and from the the local electronics store and i used the scientific method i just plug stuff in and said what happens if i do this (laughs) And, and, and that's and so then i called that dj up who was playing this from midnight to 3 a.m. He was playing these shows. And I said, hey, I'm 13. You've changed my life. I'm just so excited by what you're doing. Is there any way to get involved with this stuff? I mean, what, you know, where are you getting this stuff? What, how can I, how can I be, you know, I just wanted to be part of that world. Mm-hmm. And he actually came over and visited with me and t- started teaching me a little, you know, what he knew about sound. Right. And then I moved to Macon when I was about 15 and I still kept in touch with this gentleman. His name is Rob Thomas, and, and he'll always be dear to my heart. Right. And uh, he was friends here in, in Macon with the head of the local planetarium. Okay. And, and, and they were on the phone chatting about uh, audio issues at the planetarium. And Rob said, hey, I know this kid is pretty sharp. You should get him to come be your sound tech and, and see if he can't help you and, mm-hmm. and make things better. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. So when I did that, um, there were other kids that either volunteered or worked at the planetarium, you know, people 18, older than me, yeah. uh, 18 in, or, or early 20s. And they said, hey, we hear you got some recording equipment. Uh, can we come record our, my, our band? Can we come record a demo with you with, of our band? And, and, and so I said, yeah, sure. And so by the, by the time I was 19 years old, I had a studio in a building in downtown Macon. Um, and I was recording bands for a living and I I've been doing it ever since. Now, 
as far as my musical journey, again, mm-hmm. I'd been around music all my whole life and loved it. My dad plays guitar and, mm-hmm. and uh, my mom sang and all this, but um, I, I loved it, but I never really thought about playing it seriously. Mm-hmm. But then when one of those garage bands came in mm-hmm. and played an original song mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh my God, that's great. Who wrote that? And they're like, Oh, that's our song. It, it just, you know, it just hit me mm-hmm. just in the heart. I was like, man, I, I can learn to do this. Everything I have done, I felt like such a Every place I have gone just brings me back to you. My horizons, I can just reach out and touch. have a story to tell and music is the vehicle to tell that story and i said i'm gonna go get get some guitar lessons i'm gonna start learning how to play i kind of dabbled with piano you know just kind of messing around i didn't know what i was doing Mm -hmm. uh but uh fortunately if if you play all the white keys it's hard to make a mistake so (laughs) (laughs) it's true you know you're limited uh in, in in some ways but you can at least start formulating and at that time, I was a huge proponent of uh, 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 just a big fan of what we used to call contemporary space music. They call it the new age music. After I started, um, I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to record. Mm-hmm. And so once I started recording of those garage bands and I heard that very first original song from a band that I'd recorded, it just, it just hit me all the way to the soul. And I knew that I wanted to do that and that I wanted to make music because I, I felt like I had a story to tell mm-hmm. and that music would be the vehicle to tell that story. And I, I said, well, you know, I, I've always loved education. And I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. So I started taking guitar lessons and then eventually went to school, you know, for music. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, at first, I, my school degree was, was communications. And, um, uh, you know, basically like, you know, it, it encompassed the, the degree was so nebulous. It's kind of cool cause you could build your own degree. So it was kind of like marketing, PR, speech, making drama, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sort of, I sort of went to the PR side, uh, for that, but then I decided, I know what I'll do. Uh, I'll do two majors. <laughs> so I'll do the PR degree and I'll do a music major. And so, you know, that was a journey. Now you're, you're, probably logical follow-up question to this would be how did you how did you learn to read music Mm -hmm. um and the actual answer to that is my first guitar teacher honestly taught me more than i ever learned in college Mm -hmm. uh he he worked hard to prepare me to be able to participate at at a university level before i ever got up there because he knew there were going to be challenges as a blind person to, to being part of the curriculum. Uh, 
And so he, his very first, my very first lesson, he took a box of sand and drew in it and said, even though you can't see it, I want you to know what the staff looks like. And I want you to know what the music notes look like. So, so I actually know how to read music on the page. I just can't see to do it. I've even taught my students how to read sheet music, even though I can't see to do it myself at the time. And again, this is pre-internet. Um, there was no one for, Oh, over a hundred miles that taught Braille music. Mm -hmm. So I never, I never learned Braille music, which honestly is a bit impractical because you have to use both hands to read it. Right. So you can't read and play at the same time, like, like your sighted counterpart. So again, we talked about earlier, I have a good memory. So I focused on the memory part. I learned my music theory really well Mm -hmm. and I can use my intellect and my memory to compensate for, for no eyesight. So that's how I did it. That's how I've always done. That's amazing. Well, and I will say this though, you know, I play to my strengths. So, uh, I tend to be in projects where I'm the band leader Mm -hmm. and everybody else has to follow me. Okay. Um, that just makes, you know, that makes life easier for me. I mean, it comes down, it comes down to like effort versus reward. And so could I learn a, a, a symphony and play with the orchestra? I could, but I'd have to spend triple or quadruple the amount of time getting that information into my brain and into my hands. Unlike my sighted counterparts who would be able to just read the sheet music and play, you know, just play. I would have to commit it all to memory mm-hmm. and uh, all, all that stuff. And it would just, and, and so the pay, the payoff for my time expended would not be a good way to make a living. So it's better for me to focus on genres that reward creativity and improvisation, um, which are my strong points anyway. Mm-hmm. So I like to play jazz and blues mm-hmm. and, and things like that, where that, that, that create and rock and roll, even mm-hmm. where that creativity is, is, you know, prized. So yeah, there's a lot of structure, but um, I, I go out on a limb every night when I perform. I, I, I do something new, something we haven't done before. There's still the basic structure. Mm-hmm. But I have visual cues that I give my band that says, hey, I'm getting ready to take another solo. Or, hey, I'm going to drag out this vocal section. I'm risking. I'm, I'm having fun. The, the crowd loves it. I'm going to keep going. You know, and, and, and so that they know what to do. That's awesome. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's how I, that's how I can, you know, combat not being able to read the music. Where uh, where can people find uh, your music online? I am everywhere the independent music is sold. So you know, obviously iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, uh, Deezer, um, you know, uh, uh, Amazon. Uh, but the best place is really to go to joeystucky.com, which is a fairly comprehensive website. If you're really interested, it has a a lot of videos. It has a lot of free music. You can sign up for my my email list. Uh, you can check out where we're performing uh, right now. This is uh, during the COVID-19 crisis. So live performances are not really an option at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're doing a lot of streaming concerts and stuff like that. Um, you know, but uh, as soon as, as soon as things settle down we'll, we'll be back on the road. We, we tend to tour because mo- all of us, all of us in the band, we all teach. And uh, so we have to um, tour hard during the summer months when school's out. Right. Um, but and we, we still play during the rest of the year, but it's just a lot more restricted. We'll, we'll stick closer to home, but during the summer, you know, you'll see us up in New York or Chicago, LA, 
you know, wherever wherever they want us, we'll, we'll be there. I haven't made it to Canada yet, by the way, and I want to. So well, <laughs> once the I'm border working. once the border reopens, Joe, you're more than welcome to come over. I know. Right now, <laughs> right now they've locked me out, and rightly so. I mean, I I, I can't say I blame them. Joey, what piece of advice before we let you go? What one piece of advice uh, would you pass on to other visually impaired and blind people? Well, I, I've kind of said it a little bit before, but I think it bears repeating. I mean, basically understand that life is going to be a little bit more challenging for you than some other people. But the fact is each one of us is a unique being and we all have something to offer. And whatever your passion is, cultivate that, follow that, grow that, put time and effort into it. And you will find that that passion will lead you where you need to go. And it may not always be easy. It may not always be pleasant. But at the end of the day, if you do that, if you, if you have a core sense of intention, everything will unfold from that concept, from that thing that motiv- motivates your spirit. And, you know, again, you know, it's totally okay to say I'm frustrated with being blind. Or I'm frustrated that I can't see. I'm frustrated – that's totally fine. If, if, if you were happy all the time, I would be concerned. <laughs> I would be, you know, it's <laughs> like that. That's, yeah, that's not normal. Right. But, but life is an amazing gift. There are so many incredible places and people to explore. And what you don't want to do is take it, take life for granted. And you don't want to miss out on how incredible your life can be. Mm-hmm. And, and you will, if you stay in that place of frustration or anger, so it's okay to visit, but you can't live there. And, uh, and so, you know, just, just find that passion. And let me tell you this. Some people aren't going to understand you. Some people aren't going to like you. And that's cool. That's their loss. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you may not always be understood. And, and whenever you follow your passion, there's a lot of people that say, that's crazy. You can't do that. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you do But you have to do what you believe is right. And I, I believe that whenever you do what you believe is right, you will feel a sense of accomplishment and a sense of peace and a sense of gratitude that you won't get in life any other way. Great words to end on, my friend. Thank you very much for spending some time with us on Blind Like Me. You are an incredible guy, and uh, we'd love to get you back on here one time again and, uh, and talk further. You've got uh, endless stories, I can tell. I, I have had a rich, full life, and it has been my pleasure, and I'm so excited to make a new friend. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Blind Like Me. If you have a comment or suggestion about future casts, drop us an email to blindlikeme at outlook.com. Blind Like Me is a timblackonair.com production.